Okay, if you have a Bible, Matthew chapter 7, we are in uh, the, the conclusion still of the Sermon on the Mount, because Jesus takes a long time to conclude this sermon, and it's for a very good reason. And so uh, we have two more weeks, uh, this week and next week, and then we're going to begin our new series on Exodus that I'm really excited about. And so uh, we're looking at just three verses this morning, and I'll put them up on the screen, and we've really only got one slide this morning, and it's this passage. So um, Matthew 7, 24 through 27, Jesus says this, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So here in the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus again and again and again concludes his Sermon on the Mount. He's finished with the main content of the teaching, how to live as a disciple, how to be a part of the kingdom of God, how to live as a follower of Jesus. And yet he again, week after week we're looking at, goes back and says one more time in another different way why people should take so seriously what he has just taught them and how important it is that they apply it the right way to their life. He does this over and over and over again. Now, Jesus is a figure that people would often characterize as being uh, not a very divisive person. People would often say, what I like about Jesus is that he doesn't divide people, he unites people. That Jesus doesn't make divisions, right? He makes connections. And, and really to say that alone is a way oversimplification of, of the way Jesus was and the kind of person that, that he was. Um, Jesus, in fact, was very often um, dividing people but it wasn't the way that we divide people. And that's the reason why we see it so differently. Jesus doesn't divide people by class, which we do. Uh, Jesus was with lepers and sinners. He was with criminals, all those of parts of classes that people chose to avoid. He doesn't divide people by gender, which we do. He, doesn't, he goes to the woman at the well, and he, uh, and he shows her the exact same amount of dignity and respect that he would show a man. He, when, when the woman caught in adultery is brought to him, um, he, he doesn't treat her as the culture would treat her, as the only wrongdoing person in that party, but he talks to all the Pharisees and religious leaders that bring her to him. He doesn't divide by nationality or ethnicity, which we often do. Jesus talks about the Good Samaritan. He talks about how this person coming from this group of people that they found to just be totally undesirable and not worthy of being right in the eyes of God was, could be an example of loving your neighbor. He doesn't divide by political or religious groups even. He preached his gospel to Romans, to Jews. His message went to the Gentiles. Jesus divides, but it is not in the way that we divide. Jesus divides here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount again and again and again. Because every one of these concluding remarks that he makes is always about two people, two groups of people, two situations. There's always two. And Jesus is always saying Pick one, don't pick the other. And it makes it sound, from what he says, like the majority of people in the world will pick the one that they shouldn't pick. It makes comparison between a person who gets it, who's living it, who's doing it, and who doesn't. And the comparison is pretty shocking, and it forces us to make sense of it, each one that he gives. He basically says, a room full of people agreeing with you doesn't mean that you're on the right road, which we often associate as meaning we're on the right road. We say, look, we all agree. 
There's enough of us, right? So it must be good. It must be right. Jesus says the road will be narrow. The wide road will lead to destruction and death. He says a teacher who brings a message that connects with your heart perfectly doesn't mean that you're on the right road. Be careful of these prophets who come and preach. Don't think that just because something resonates with you and you like what it says and you like who's saying it, that that means that you're on the right road. Knowing the right words to say and lifestyle alterations don't mean that you're on the right road. People say, Lord, Lord, and they've learned how to change their lives and even do spiritual type things aren't necessarily on the right road. What he says here is about foundations in these two houses. Now, this is essentially the part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus makes one point, and it is this. The wise person will choose to do the things that I've said. The foolish person won't. He's appealing to wisdom and bringing a contrast to the foolishness that you see in the world around you so much of the time that we're prone to. He says, there are two men who built two houses on two different places. One was foolish, one was wise. Be the wise home builder. Don't be the foolish home builder. Now, there's a couple of things about what Jesus, the picture that Jesus paints here that are important. One is all of the ways in which these two people and situations are the same. And then the other is all the ways in which these two people and situations are different. That is also the point of what he's talking about. We see, first of all here, when we read his scenario, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. So we have a guy who's built his house, and there's a storm. But he goes on and says, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So there's similarities here. First of all, they're in the same place. How do we know they're in the same place? Because it's the same storms. It's the same weather. They're dealing with the same elements. So these people are both in the same place, which is kind of a helpful thing to know. Because one of the things that we see in Jesus' ministry and in the Sermon on the Mount is you can be in the same place and not both be in the same place in life. You can be in a Christian school. You can be in a public school. You can be in a church. You can be outside of a church. You can be in a Christian country. You can be in a non-Christian country. You can be in a conservative part of the country. You can be in a more liberal part of a country. You can be in a more traditional area. You can be in a non-traditional area. You can move out as far away as you can from all people and live in a desert island, or you can live right in the middle of the most tightly compacted city in America. But it doesn't mean that you're a Christian. And it doesn't mean if you are in the good places that we associate with being a Christian or being faithful that, that you're a Christian. So they're in the same place. And we see this throughout Jesus' ministry too because Jesus, of all people, the ones that he railed on the most were the Jewish religious leaders. He went into their temples. He went into their places and he just reamed these guys saying to them, you are not preaching what's true. You're not living it out. You're not being the way that you're making everyone think that you are. And so these two people building these two houses, they're in the same place, which means they live amongst one another. They're around each other. We live amongst each other in this way. But the other thing is that they're building essentially the same thing. They're both building a house. They're probably building the same house. Their lives look very similar. 
This house isn't really just their house, it's their life. This is a metaphor for life. They have built their lives upon something. And the truth is that many lives look the same, Christian and non-Christian alike. We have the same kinds of family, we have the same kinds of job, we have the same kinds of stuff. And in this parable, Jesus isn't giving it to make the point that we all have to look exactly alike each other because he tells us to live distinctly from the world in lots of ways. But it is true, and we know that it's true, right? That if your next door neighbor is not a Christian and you are a Christian, then that doesn't mean that your lives outwardly, right off the bat, immediately look totally different. In fact, they often will look very much the same. Now, you'll notice that there's a theme here again and again and again at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and it is that, and that, it is that there are these groups of people that will think that they're doing okay, right? They'll think that everything's going well, and then they will come to realize that it's not, right? Again and again and again, he gives an example of somebody who thought they were doing well, thought they had to figure it figured out, thought they made the right choices, thought they were on the right team, and then would come to realize that they're not. Part of the reason why this happens, again, is because these people are living in the same places. They have lives that look the same. The other thing that's the same is the storm, right? The storm that comes down, he describes them exactly the same for all three. There's wind, there's flood waters, and there is, or there's rain and there's flood waters and there's wind. Now, this will be hard to understand living in a place like this. When we talk about something like rain, are you guys familiar with rain? Yes, you are. I used to live in California for, uh, for a long, long time, and I got used to two things living in California. Not a lot of rain, and as a result, no water. And uh, it turns out water is important for life. Um, and so we were constantly out of it. We were stressed about it. Everybody was saying, there's not enough water. Turn off your water. Don't use water. We don't have water. It's partly because we just didn't get any water, turns out. Here, we have lots of water. We have water all the time. And we're getting to that point in the year where it's like enough already. We get it, right? Rains, we need water. We need it that way. And yet rain is important because rain represents something. And it is like this daily, regular, normal, accepted thing that happens in life that we know needs to happen. But honestly, if we were in charge, we'd probably figure out a different way to make it happen. Right? Is there a way the water could just kind of bubble up and that's all we ever have to deal with? Right? Does it always have to come from above, get on all of us, get on all of our stuff and all of our things? Do we really have to deal with it that way? But the creation in which we live, the world in which we live, especially now that sin has entered into this world, much of the pain that we will deal with is stuff that we just completely get used to. It is completely normal. It is a way of life. In fact, we go the only way then, the best I can figure it, that I can have freedom, that I can be, um, that I can truly choose Christ, is to know that I also live in a world where people choose to sin and people choose to do hurtful things. And so we live in a world that operates a certain way, but it is not ideal or perfect in any way. We expect the rain to come. The rain's the one that's not a huge surprise. But he also says there's floods because in the place where Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, it would rain and it was very wanted. It was very desirable when they got precipitation, but sometimes it would rain really hard in a really short period of time and the streams and the rivers would flood and people would experience flooding. Floods are bad. Floods essentially do one thing. They knock the feet out from under you. They knock the legs out from under you. They wash away the base of something. I'm sure none of us know what that's like, right? To get your legs knocked out from under you, to 
to find yourself in a situation where you go, I did not see that coming, and there it was, and now my life feels like a total mess. And he says, the wind will come. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Last night, we were sitting in our house, and the wind was beating against that house. It beats the hardest on our kids' bedroom windows, and they hear it the most. And the wind is like nature saying, I'm still here. You may be in that house. You may be thinking you're protected and you're fine, but it's like nature's way of scaring us, and, and it's like thunder, right? It's like, it's like there is power out there, and that power can do a lot of damage, And so you find yourself in these places in life, because when Jesus is talking about this stuff, he's not physically talking about water and wind, he's talking about the things that come up in our lives that threaten to tear everything down, and we all know exactly what those things are. We know what it feels like to have the rain coming down upon you, to have the floodwaters rise and threaten to wash away everything, to knock the legs right out from under you, and to have the wind from above bearing down upon you pressing up against the side of that house. We know what it is like to be living life and to suffer and to endure. These things that threaten to destroy really all the things we love about life, all the things we have constructed and built up like these houses. This is when the storms rise, when the money runs out, when the job goes away, when we lose someone, when the diagnosis comes, when a child is born sick, when a family doesn't look the way we thought it would, when a soulmate never comes, or when the person that you thought was a soulmate turned out not to be. When the trials come and these things happen, they are the same for all of us. They're not unique. Christians and non-Christians alike, followers of Jesus and people who don't want to have anything to do with him, they will feel the rain upon them. They will have the floodwaters rise around them, and they will have the winds blow up against that house. It will be the same for both. But this is where the similarities in this, in this parable that Jesus tells essentially end. Because then we begin to see the distinction between these two, the wise and the foolish builder. The first, the wise builder, is characterized as the man who does one thing different one thing different. He builds his house upon the rock. Now, he did not get a, dig foundations, get a concrete truck to come in and pour a concrete foundation. He actually dug down beyond the sand to get to something called bedrock, which is the hardest thing that you could build upon at that time. And, and, and when you build a house upon the rock, it takes extra work. It takes extra time. It also takes knowing that there's something harder than the sand that you're standing on when you start out on day one. But this person's wisdom is shown in one way and one way only, that they said, I'm going to build my life on a firm, solid foundation because I have a feeling that that's going to come in handy at some point down the road. And the truth is that the teachings of Jesus, when put into place in our lives, serve as a foundation for many different kinds of lives. God calls people to different places, different situations, different things, but the foundation is the same. Rich or poor, foundation is the same. Easy or hard life, because some people seem to just have easier lives than others. 
And some of us deal with more pain and suffering, it feels like, than others. Regardless of the amount of those things that you deal with, there's one foundation. And so you dig down to bedrock, which usually means work, and that work is the stuff that Jesus has just finished talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, this whole sermon that I've given you, I've given you two basic things to do, to look inward, to look inward at your own hearts, and then to live differently as a result of that thing. That is what it is to dig through the sand, push it aside, dig down to the bedrock. When you do that extra work that most others won't, you will then have found a firm foundation, and what you build upon that will last through the storms of life. And the great thing about a good foundation is no matter how slowly you build after that, it's not going anywhere. So you, and, and this is probably what would happen, right? If you had two people living side by side and one was like, well, you're doing the foundation thing? Nope, I'm starting today. Look, I put up a wall, I put up a wall today. What'd you do today? You're still digging. I don't even know why you're digging. What are you doing over there? But I put up a wall. Look, I put up another wall and another wall. One person has five rooms built and the other one has one room built. But when the storm comes and the waters rise and the wind beats up against that house, that one room will stay. Even if it seems to go slower. Now, one of the themes that we see in the Sermon on the Mount that is so key that I, I feel like I have to keep harping on this again and again because Jesus comes back to it so much is he seems to keep saying again and again in different ways, lip service to this stuff isn't going to count. It's like he knew that people would hear these things and they would maybe read these things at one point and they would want to talk about them, that they would like talking about them, that they would be able to make these things even sound really good as they talk about them. But he again and again and again is like, it's not just the stuff you're saying, everybody. This isn't just about saying the right things and professing certain kinds of things or sounding good when you talk about me and when you can talk about this stuff. Partly that's because that's what the religious leaders were so good at doing. They spent so much of their time coming up with ways to talk about religious things that were impressive, that sounded great, that made them sound like they were on the right road, like they had built upon a firm foundation, like they were the ones in the right. And then Jesus comes back at this again and again and again, and he says, it's not about paying lip service to something, it's about the way your life actually goes as a result of that thing. And why does that matter? It matters because we live at a time in which we are better at talking about things than ever. We are so good at talking about things. We are so good at sounding good when we talk about things. Because of the internet, we all have a platform on which to say things. And so we do, right? Every time something happens, every time it's a holiday, every time there's a tragedy, so many of us have to say something. We have to have a, a thought or a word or a truth or a position, something insightful, something deep, maybe something Jesus would say. And we get really good at saying those things. And while it's not bad to say things, the fact is, the truth is, we have gotten really good at talking, many of us, about Jesus. We have gotten good about sounding like Jesus sounded when he talked. We've gotten very good at knowing how to talk to other people who like Jesus. I was at a person's house and I was walking out. We were going somewhere and he had a thing on his wall. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this before. The thing on his wall, it said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Of course you've seen it. We all probably have it up in our houses, right? So as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And he walked by and I pointed to it and I was like, oh, there it is. As something like that, you know? Um, and he goes, oh yeah, best thing Jesus ever said, you know? And I was like, 
that's what, that's, Jesus didn't say that. That's actually the wrong testament. That's like totally different. Besides, so you've been thinking all these years Jesus said that? Like he had a house and he was like, as for me and my house, kids, we're going to serve the Lord. And he put it over his mantle. Like so many things wrong about that, right? But if I want to, I can go to the store. I can buy something that looks really nice, that says something from the Bible on it. I can hang it over my mantle. People can walk in and go, whoa, whoa, this house must serve the Lord, right? And I wonder sometimes, I wonder if every person that has that up in their house really means it. Crazy, I know, right? Crazy. But what Jesus is doing is he's preaching to people and he's saying to them again and again, I know, you're going to, those of you who like what I'm saying, and I think almost everybody has to like something that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, he's like, you're going to love it. You're going to want to talk about it. You're going to want to write it on things. You're going to want to put it on things. You're going to want to say it to people about things. But more than any other time in history, other than when people would stand in the, in the, in the center of cities and they would, uh, philosophers and, 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 and deep thinkers would debate things publicly, maybe only, only that was a time that paralleled this. We just, we just talk about stuff so much, about what we think about things and how we feel about things. And we've gotten so good at talking about things that for many of us, that's replaced doing things, living differently, being different. As long as I post something, as long as I write something, as long as I have the weight, right perfect way thing to say in that situation, and if I don't, then there's something wrong with that, right? Jesus is saying live differently. Build your life upon a firm foundation. The other nice thing about a foundation that is so valuable is this. When you build upon a level foundation, when you build upon a foundation that isn't going to move, then everything you build on top of that, all you have to do is say, I just got to make it level. I just got to make it match up. And so at any point in your life, no matter what's going on, no matter what's happening, no matter what crazy situation you're faced with, and if you've lived life long enough, you're like going, this is the most impossible situation that anyone's been faced with. We, we all have those moments as you live life long enough and you go, I have no idea what to do here. I have no idea what the right answer is here. I have no idea what the way forward is here. That we are to stop, we look in God's word, we look at things like the Sermon on the Mount, and we say, what does it mean to build level, right? Knowing that I have this firm foundation that I can go back to. That's a great thing. Because for many, they don't have that. You're constantly having to come up with what to do all the time, how to live, how to believe, how to think. For many, it's like, uh, you, know, you, know, you know, we've had kids, and now, now we want to talk about what life's about and what things matter and what, 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 what meaning there is in life. And there is value in that. You need to do that kind of thing. But what if you did it before that? What if you had a foundation before that? If nothing else, man, parenting kids is hard. It's one less thing you got to figure out on day one, right? You go, well, at least the foundation's kind of there for us. Now we know to build level upon that thing. There's a huge benefit. You don't get halfway through your life and have to have a major identity crisis. You don't have to figure every single thing out in every single situation. This is why if you're around church for long enough, you'll hear words like level and plumb line and horizon and anchor and straight and narrow. These are all like engineering terms and phrases, and we use them because we're talking about the idea of getting things a certain way that we believe is right. We say, well, look, God has given us his word. He's made it clear to us what is good and what is true and what is right. So the question is not, how do I figure everything out in the world? The question is, how do I live according to this thing? Because according to Jesus, not a lot of people are going to be willing to do that because it's so difficult. 
So there's the wise man who built his house upon the rock, upon the bedrock. And for that man, things turned out pretty well. And then there's the foolish man. And the foolish man builds his house upon the sand. Sand is literally the worst thing that you can build upon. Can't really be compacted, be made stronger by doing something to it. Those who choose to build on the sand are choosing to build on something that cannot ever be made into a good foundation. They can't go back later on and say, I'm going to make this foundation even better on the sand. And so everything that they have built, much of the time, will come falling down in the storms of life because they started building on something that isn't, make, doesn't make any sense that it would be a foundation. So what does it look like when someone builds their life upon the sand? Jesus makes it abundantly clear here. Very last thing he says. That house, he says, fell, and great was the fall of it. You see, when our life is built upon the sand and the storm comes, it falls apart. That's what happened. It falls apart. We fall apart. Our life falls apart. Now, I am convinced that the most radical things that Jesus teaches are not the things that are meant to convince us how bad everything is, but they're meant to convince us that there's another way. Those are the things that we have a hard time wrapping our mind around. It's what we talked about last week with hope. We have a harder time hoping in the things Jesus says. We have accepted that death defeats, that death is the end, that death ends all things and sort of neutralizes and zeroes out all things. And so when Jesus comes and says, no, it isn't, I have conquered death, I will conquer death, we go, that's pretty hard sell. That's pretty hard to believe. Because all of us are living in a world in which that's not really the case. I have watched people's lives fall apart throughout my life. I have seen lives fall apart over so many different kinds of things. I've seen people know their job is at risk and fall apart and resort to the kind of behavior and fear that show that their foundation is really their job and that without that, they have nothing. I've watched people lose someone close to them, lose their very sense of security and self, lose their hope, lose their identity, and fall apart completely. It ends them. I've seen people fall apart because they had three boys and not a girl. And I've seen people fall apart because they had three girls and not a boy. We've all seen people's lives fall apart when the storms come. In fact, we've seen it so much that the truth is this, that we do live in a world in which we all expect that when the storms come, our lives will fall apart. That's the world we live in. We live in a world that we have all gotten used to this idea. Let's all get up. Let's all build houses because when the storm comes, they're all going to fall down. And then we're going to go over here and we're going to build new houses. And then when the storm comes, they're going to fall down. And then we're going to come over here and we're going to build some more houses. And when the storm comes, they're going to fall down. Why? Because that's what happens when life gets difficult is that if you fall apart, your life falls apart. When it gets hard enough, when things get difficult enough, when you lose something that matters more to you than anything else maybe, your life falls apart. That's how it works. That's how life works. That's what's normal. You would be absolutely out of your mind to suggest that everything could go badly and that life wouldn't fall apart. That would be craziness. Who says something like that? Jesus says something like that. He says 
There is a way that the wise man can build his house upon a foundation that is so strong that all the stuff that you think will ruin lives does not ruin lives, that it won't ruin your life, and it won't render your life useless at that point, having to start all over again and pick up the pieces and now build something brand new. And this is what's so hard, is that when our lives fall apart, the last thing that we want to do is actually hear about why our life is falling apart, right? It's one of the hardest things to talk to one another about. People who fall apart rarely acknowledge that there was no foundation. What happens when our life falls apart is we just sit there amidst the rubble and we blame the storm. We say, that storm ruined my life. That storm destroyed my life. That thing that happened ended everything for me. We say everyone would fall apart when that happened. We say, how dare you talk about my foundation at a time like this? Much like Jesus says to us, um, I am the light. And that means that through him we can now see, meaning we were in blindness. What that also implies to us is you're going to live your lives in a world full of blind people, trying to share with them the miracle of sight. How frustrating would that be to live in a world full of blind people? Everyone's bumping into each other, driving cars around, not even maybe even acknowledging that they're blind. That would not be a safe, good place to live. And as a result, it's often frustrating. It's frustrating. This is the same thing. Jesus says to us, like, I am the firm foundation. And that sounds crazy because everyone around us is like, that's not even how it works. There is no such thing as a foundation. You just start as soon as you can and you just build. And there's a couple of things that we build on. There's so many things that we build on, that we build everything upon, starting as early as we can, and then when the storms come and everything falls down, we often even still fail to see that those things were inadequate. One of them, and it's the one that we hit so many times, because in in the world in which we live, this is something that gets to so many of us, and it's just things. It's money. The the foundation we have, the security we have, the thing that we really think is going to save us when the storm comes is if I have enough stuff, if I have a good enough job, if I've saved up enough money, if I've made the right choices financially, then I'll be okay. How do we know this? I don't know. If you took a couple of kids and you said, what do you want your life to look like? They'd probably paint a picture of a life in which they pursued some pretty good things. And the argument... The majority of us, this is our foundation, our home, our cars, our vacations, our clothes, our jobs, our retirement account, our income. You build your life upon the foundation of enjoyment and fulfillment through these things. Whether you need them for security or they're just the thing that keeps you from being bored all day, it still is the foundation that you start building everything upon. And the argument is this, if I had enough things and if I had enough money to provide for myself, then I would not be in need. Those who depend on me wouldn't be in need. Enough food, enough things, a decent home, whatever comes, either sickness, famine, pain, death, apart from having enough to take care of me in those times, to take care of life and people in those times, you know what else this stuff gives me? Is it gives me value. It actually gives me something to occupy myself with. Because the truth is that the more you get, the more time you spend on the stuff that you have, and the more you need. We surpass a level of 
being provided for, our basic needs, the things that we need to really be secure in any way financially. And then it's just all kind of about like, you buy a new house and you got to get more furniture and you got to get the money and you got to invest the money and you've got to take care of the money and you've got to watch the money. And it becomes the thing that we build stuff on. Dave Ramsey says this. He, Dave Ramsey's a guy who talks about handling your finances well and in kind of a biblical way. He says that today's young adults will spend the first 10 years of their adult lives trying to acquire the same standard of living that their parents took a lifetime to have. Think about that for a second. He says, most young adults will spend the first 10 years of their lives uh, like, like building a life together. Maybe like a couple gets married, they have some jobs, and then they just start building a life together. He said they'll spend the first 10 years of that time trying to acquire the same level of comfort that their parents had their whole lives. And I, and I remember I first heard that, and I thought about, I thought about a lot of my friends. I thought about people that were kind of younger still with me, and I was thinking like, yeah, we do, yeah, like, Nicer houses than many of our parents had. Nicer cars than many of our families had. More stuff than maybe we had when we grew up. Why would we do that, right? Why would that happen? Well, here's why. Because when something's important, you get started on it as soon as you can, right? You get invested into it as soon as you can. You take the, most prior- the biggest priorities in your life and you say, if I'm going to build a life, then I'm going to start here. And I'm going to make sure that I build on this thing. And this isn't just about young people, by the way, because there was an entire generation of people who lived through the Depression who had nothing and came out of that and saved everything. And then many of them passed away with significant inheritance and nest eggs that they passed along to other children who then were like, sweet jackpot. And then it was gone. Same thing. And the mistake is this. These things are temporarily fulfilling. They consume us, they occupy us, they distract us, and when the storms come and things fall apart, these things are not the firm foundation that we would love to think that they are. The other foundation that is so important to many of us is just, is just people. God made us to be relational beings, and so uh, much like the way that God made us to need him to provide for us, and so we go to fill the void of God with stuff, he also made us to be in relationship with him. And we fill that void by taking relationships with people and making them way more important than they need to be. So what we basically do is we surround ourselves with people that we like, and then we say, the foundation of my life is going to be whatever this group and I decide we want life to be about. Sometimes that's religious people. Sometimes it's a political group of people. Sometimes it's people with a certain set of values that you have. But just like a, couple of, just like a bunch of kids on a playground dividing up and making kickball teams, we stay in those teams. And then we begin to build our identities upon those teams. We're going to look like each other, talk like each other, act like each other, think like each other. And then our foundation for our life is that. And then when the storms come and the pain comes and everything falls down and falls apart, we go, well, all that ended up being was just what a group of people thought made sense right now. We refer to that as shifting sands. The idea that if you want to just agree with a group of people, guess what? There's going to be a different group of people in 10 years who are going to say something totally different, maybe. It's true of many of us. It's true often of all of us. Many of us consider, uh, we associate loving someone and agreeing with them to be the same thing. If, you, if I love someone, it means I agree with them, so we're in agreement. If I value them, it means believing what resonates with them. 
When I was uh, was a youth pastor and we would go to camp, we would go to this camp in the winter that played broom hockey. Um, You guys play broom hockey? Okay. So, yeah, broom hockey is like an incredible invention because it's the great equalizer. No one's really that good at broom hockey. It's great. Like, you just wear your shoes on the ice and you have these little brooms and you use them to hit pucks. And when you watch people playing, it looks kind of like some kind of a joke, you know? Like, oh, that's sad. That's sad that someone got them to do this for that long. But that's not how they feel about it, right? Uh, People go crazy for this thing. And so we would go every year. And people would decide their teams very early on. And then they would get T-shirts. And then they would wear tube socks that were pulled up really high. And then they would put, like, you know, war paint on their faces. And they would have chants. And they would have team names. And you were on this team or you were on that team. And, and you could watch it become the very foundation for how everyone interacted and lived their lives was what team you were on, what group you were in, who you agreed with, who you liked. And for many of us, life is characterized by maybe the pain of just being like, nope, never me. I was always on that team of people that like got thrown off to the side and nobody wanted to be on their team. Nobody wanted them on their team. There are different things that we do look to to start building this house upon of our life. But for the most part, the reason you'd build your house upon the sand is because you either don't know that there's bedrock down there underneath it, and so you just go, okay, I start building. And that's what, most peop- that's what a lot of people do. Just out of ignorance, they go, we just, I'm going to start building a life. Whatever makes sense right now. Seems to be what works for everybody else. And then the longer we live... As the storms rise and as things fall down, there is always a sense of us that feels like, is this the best we could come up with? Is this the best we could figure out as a way to live? The other reason, though, that people don't build upon the bedrock, to make this practical, really, is that people aren't willing to do the work of digging down to get to the bedrock. Because this is ultimately what Jesus is calling his disciples to do. Is he's saying, if you want to be a follower of mine, then you're going to have to do some digging. You're going to have to do a lot of digging. And that's, like I said, what the Sermon on the Mount is. And why does that matter so much for us? Because if we, the cool thing about the foundation Jesus is talking about is that you can actually go back to it at any point in your life and you can say, what is my foundation? Now, oftentimes, the death to self that comes from that, it's sort of like going back and realizing that this part of your foundation was wrong and so you break it off and you rebuild a new one or you have to tear off half the house and rebuild one on a stronger foundation. That's a lot of what being sanctified looks like is realizing that like, those things are gonna need to fall away. And if they don't fall away now, they're gonna, come, they're gonna hurt me, they're gonna hurt the rest of this house and I know for sure one thing. I know that when the storms rise and the winds blow up against this house, I know that it's gonna fall down. I know that. So what we do is we dig and dig and we clear away all the bad sand, all the bad dirt that we don't need. And we do that with each other. This is why, as as a church that says we want to disciple each other, we want to reach the lost together, what that means is not just we're going to throw lots of information at each other. Because that's just piling on. That's piling on. This is one of the hardest things about saying, you know, if you want to raise, you know, the next generation of Christians, right? Oh, it's easy. Just get them this picture and hang it on the wall, right? And then that's what we do. That's, that's, that's what, imagine if you went to a church and they were like, uh, you know, you were like, hey, I, I need to, um, you know, go to the children's ministry. You're like, I, you know, I'd really like to just know how to raise my kids in the Lord. They're like, oh, it's, we have this picture. It's just got this quote. It's me, as for me, my house will serve the Lord. You just put that up and you're fine, right? Case closed. You can't just add a bunch of stuff on. You have to do some digging. 
You have to go, what's going on inside of this person? What's going on inside of my heart? What Jesus walks his disciples through in the Sermon on the Mount is truly looking inwardly at their own heart and saying, what is going on in here? But not stopping there, not just being these endlessly self-reflective, self-absorbed people, but saying, now my life is going to look different. Now I'm going to look different. Now things are going to look different. That's what that bedrock foundation looks like. It's hard work. It's hard work to get down to a foundation. I don't think it's something that we do alone. It's something we do within a community of people who are like, yep, we're all doing it. We're going to help each other do it. We're going to help each other figure out what's going on and what's getting in the way and what's making things so difficult. We're going to, we're going to be willing to admit the things that we've seen in ourselves in hopes that other people go, that's just sand. I see that in my life too. That's just sand. That's getting in the way of me getting down to this real foundation. But it's so great that we can go back at any point in our lives. You can, right now, today, you can, you can get on your knees and you can talk to God and you can look at his word and you can go, I see that my foundation is not a solid foundation and you can actually do something about that. That we can do that now. I mean, I don't think, I think we could all agree there's nothing better than just like starting out that way. But for many, that's not the case. This is something that we do together. And so this is yet another way that Jesus, the final way that Jesus really talks to his disciples about this. Here is the Sermon on the Mount. Here's all the things I've taught you, all the things I've challenged you with. I'm certain something in it resonates with everyone at some point. There's something in it that you hear, that you see, that you go, yes, there's truth in that. Yes, I like that. And Jesus says it's more than that. It's you saying, am I going to be wise and am I going to build my house on this foundation? Because that is what a wise person does. A foolish person says, it's fine, I'll figure it out. And ultimately what a foolish person says is this. They say, here's what life is. Storms are going to come. And they're going to destroy all of us. And they're going to make our lives fall apart. And that's really sad. And we'll be there for each other. And then we'll build houses again. And then the lives will fall apart again. And then we'll do it again and again and again. Jesus says, that's foolishness. That's foolish. But what it takes to believe what he says is hope. It takes hope in believing that you actually can live another way. That life can go another way. And for some of us, the thing that keeps us from it is not having enough hope to really believe what it is that he says to us. Let's pray. Father, you say in your word in Psalm 62, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Father, we recognize that what Jesus tells us here is that when we do not see the kingdom and live our lives upon it, that our lives are but a breath, that they are a delusion that the idea that this house has been built and everything's great and everything's fine is a delusion, God. 
And sadly, it's one that we'll come to see when the storms rise up. So Father, our prayer as a people is that you would help us in this firm foundation, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Again, Psalm 62 says this, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. That is essentially our challenge this morning as we leave here. It is simply that. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him and know that God is a refuge for us. That is, we are the bringers of the good news to others of the gospel, that we bring to them hope. And what we bring sounds sometimes crazy because of the hope involved in actually living our lives, believing something like this, believing that we can live on a foundation that is so firm, that all the storms that come up in life will not cause our life to fall apart, but it will hold together. Amen? All right, God bless you guys. Have a great week.